For all of us, I want us to get ready to receive from God. And I want us to get ready to hear something that, that, that is basic and foundational, but sometimes so easily overlooked. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is the thing we want to talk about, being a disciple. We've called this, this series of uh, services, we're going to call it further up and further in. Because the truth is that while we often see growth in the church and numbers, more people coming, more people attending, that's not really the, the be all and end all of growth. That's not really the main metric that Jesus looks at the church and judges by. What he wants to see in us is more of a growth into him, more of a growth together, more of a growth into, into, into disciples of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to talk to you about being a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? What does it require? And through the next few weeks, we're going to be going through the stories in the Gospels where Jesus speaks to his disciples, and we're going to take lessons on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, there were a lot of people in the crowd following Jesus. There were a lot of people who showed up to hear this amazing teacher, or there were a lot of people that showed up to see the miracles. People like Jesus's ministry. Now, we all know that at some point, the people turned against him. At some point, at least the people in Jerusalem turned against him and he was crucified. But we also know that there were periods of his ministry where there were multitudes upon multitudes of people, thousands of people who showed up. And yet, those thousands of people weren't called disciples. They were called the crowd, the multitude, but there was something else required to be a disciple. Now, maybe when you hear the word disciple, you think of 12 guys the 12, the 12 original apostles. You think of those guys that Jesus had the last supper with. You think of those guys that Jesus went alone on the boat with. But I want you to know, as important as those 12 guys are, Jesus actually had a larger group of disciples. And uh, there's something about being a disciple that seems exclusive. But here's the thing. Jesus, while he picked 12, and while he had the 70, and while he had these different levels of, of relationship. Here's the good news. At the end of his ministry, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You see, the 12 that he picked, those aren't all the disciples he wants. He wants you. Everyone who says, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, when he's called you and he's pulled on your heart, here's the deal. He's already drawn you. And when you say, yes, I want to go deeper. I want to go further then Jesus says, you can be a disciple. He, he doesn't put a limit on how many people are in that group. Anyone who chooses, anyone who chooses to follow can be a disciple. But as a believer, I want you to know that not everybody who's believed is necessarily a disciple. A disciple is someone who says, I, I'm not just a fan of Jesus. I'm not just uh, uh, learning from Jesus. I'm not just listening to Jesus. I'm someone who wants to follow him. I want some, I'm someone who wants his life to be my life. Discipleship is another layer. It's something deeper than just showing up to the meetings. It's something deeper than just saying, I believe in you. Discipleship is a lifestyle. And maybe we've made it so it seemed like this mystical, mythical thing, like, like only certain people can be disciples and, and maybe I'm not cut out for it, but I want you to know that if, if you desire to have a deeper relationship with Jesus, he desires it for you. There's nobody listening to this message today that can't be a disciple. 
This is, this is what I'm putting out to you. If you want to, if you want to go deeper with Jesus, you can. You know, I want to read you something from the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, when he talks about the first calling of the disciples and, and appointing them and calling them to himself, in Mark chapter 3, it says this, he went up on the mountain, this is verse 13, he went up on the mountain and he summoned those whom he himself wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out the demons and he appointed the 12. And then he goes on and names the 12 original disciples, the 12 original apostles. But I want you to know that this is the original pattern of a disciple. He said he called these people, set them out so that they could be with him. And then they could go do the work of ministry. They could do what he did. You see, a disciple is, a disciple is not a word that Jesus invented. It's not even a role that Jesus invented. Sure, it, it was probably looked a bit different to be a disciple of Jesus than a disciple of anyone else. But in that day and age, that wasn't uncommon. You know, John the Baptist had disciples. Some of Jesus's original disciples were originally John the Baptist's disciples. You know, it, it wasn't uncommon to cling to a certain rabbi or teacher and have them take you on as a, an apprentice, to have them take you on as a student. You know, Paul was, was originally in the school of Gamaliel. You know, he, had, he was a disciple of this rabbi. It wasn't uncommon to take that rabbi's yoke upon you, their interpretation of scripture, the, 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 the binding to certain rules or, or ways of living. And you said, I'm gonna follow this person, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna pattern my lifestyle around what they're teaching me. But Jesus, while he used that pattern to a degree, he flipped it all on its end. He didn't have a bunch of academics following him. He didn't have a bunch of people that you necessarily would have wanted as your original apprentice. He chose some regular folks doing regular jobs and he called them to himself, number one, that they might be with him, and number two, that they would go and have authority to cast out spirits. It says in another, it says in another version of the Gospels that he would send them out with authority, and, and we know later he sent them out to preach, to teach, to heal, to, to, to deliver, to raise the dead. He sent them out to do what he did, because ultimately that's what a disciple is. A disciple is not just a student. A disciple is someone who is going to multiply your ministry. A disciple is somebody who's going to take what you teach and how you live and reproduce that. You know, when the Bible says, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's not asking us to make disciples of ourselves. He doesn't want you to be a Jonathan Bounds disciple. He doesn't want me to be a disciple of someone else so much so that he wants us to be disciples of him. And so when we go out and we make disciples, we're not trying to say, you know, be like me, live like me. There's always a degree of that that seeps in. But really what we want is be like Jesus. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Jesus. And this is why it's so important that we learn what it is to be a disciple. Because the North American church has traditionally been very broad, but not so deep. Sometimes we're just not that deep. And, and, and I'm not putting that blanket across everyone. Just at large, 
that's a big part of what it's like growing up in a place where Christianity is cultural, where Christianity is widely accepted by many people. It's very easy to show up, but maybe there's not as much depth because showing up is, is a big part of the whole thing, but it's not the end of it. I want to spark something in you this morning. There's something inside you that says, I want more. In every believer, there is a desire for more of Christ. If you haven't felt it in a while, then I pray by, by what happens this morning, what you hear this morning, it would be stirred. It's the saddest thing that in the act of trying to, uh, you know, perpetrate ministry and, and, and the act of trying to get good programs going that sometimes we teach people what to do, but we don't bring them any closer to Christ. This morning, if you've lost that spark, if you've lost that flame, if, if there's not that, that dis- burning desire to know him and to follow him inside of you, if you say, I used to feel it, but I don't feel it anymore. I used, to, I used to be passionate like that, but I'm not anymore. Then I pray this morning it would be reignited in you. Let's stop for a minute and just focus on the first thing that it says about his calling the disciples. First of all, he summoned them to himself. And then it says he did this so that they would be with him. You know, it's very easy to think that our number one job is to do things for Jesus, is to to do ministries, to help people, is, is to preach the gospel, is to heal, is to do all of these things. But the first call of the disciple is to be with him. If I could say anything that's key to being a disciple. This morning, if there's one thing I could say that is key to being a disciple, it is making room in your life. You see, we traditionally are very busy people. We live in a really busy society. Our lives are crowded. You know, we we read, when we talked about fruitfulness, we read from the scripture where Jesus said that there'd be those whose lives, who had fruit in their lives, but because of all of these other things crowding the word out, all of these busy things and distractions in our life, that the word itself would become choked and unfruitful in our life. We wouldn't see the results of our belief because we're just too busy. The number one thing I want to encourage you this morning is that you would make room in your life, that you'd make room in your hearts, that you'd make room uh, to grow, that you'd make room for other people. Because whether you know it or not, being a disciple is going to take time. Being a disciple and making disciples is going to take a chunk of your life and it's all worth it, but don't be deceived. It's not going to be one more hobby. It's not going to be one more little thing that you do. It's Jesus asking for your heart. It's him asking for your life. And how can we say he has my heart if he doesn't have my time? Jesus told people straight up, If you want to follow me, if you want me to be my disciple, you're going to have to leave some things behind. You're going to have to love me more than you love these things. In fact, one of the last conversations Jesus had face-to-face with Simon Peter was on the beach that day as they came back fishing and Jesus was on the shore preparing them breakfast. Jesus said to Peter, he said, Simon, do you love me more than these, more than the boats, more than the fishing, more than anything else? Do you love me more than that? 
Jesus said nobody who, who, who starts out and then turns back is fit to be called my disciple. He said, you know, if you want to be a disciple, you're, you need to be all in. And I realized that sometimes that's our hesitation, you know. Uh, we want to put our toe in the water. We want to just see. But, but have you ever noticed that when you put your toe in the water, it's always cold? at least in Canada. Here, we're Canadians. We grew up swimming in lakes. And no matter which lake you're in, well, it may differ, but the lakes I grew up in were the lakes in northern Saskatchewan. You could go in July and August. It wouldn't matter. That lake is still going to be cold. It would be warmer than it was in the spring, but it's still going to be cold. And if you dip your toe in the water of that lake, you're not going to want to jump in. Because as long as you're dipping your toe in the water, it's freezing cold. But when you jump in, when you dive in wholeheartedly and you actually get in that water, something changes. Suddenly it doesn't seem so bone-chillingly cold. Suddenly it seems inviting. You know, I, we had a baptism service not long ago in Loon Lake and, and it, was right, uh, it was right at the end of August, beginning of September. And so uh, the water uh, was still sort of warm, but not as warm and the air was getting chillier but the Lord gave us great weather and we just had really good weather for that baptism service. But we did it right in the lake. We did it in a place where we could be distanced and, 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 and not uh, crowd out too many people. But we had our own spot. It was beautiful. But the funny thing was, I was in the water the longest because I'm the one baptizing people. And when I was in the water, I was fine. I was warm. After that first 30 seconds, it felt great. The sun was on my back. But you know, everybody that came into the water, those, that first you know, 30, 40 seconds of them walking into the water and wading out to where I was, was a time of them shivering. It was a time of them going, oh my goodness, it's cold. But as soon as they got in, as soon as you were in for you know, all the way in, it, it didn't feel cold anymore, it felt nice. Sometimes we're just dipping our toes in the water, hoping that something changes, hoping that the water changes. But I wanna tell you, it's not the water that change, needs changing. It's, it's, it's me that needs changing. It's you that needs changing. We're changed by the water. There's something about knowing Jesus. You know, if he is who he says he is, if he is really the son of God, if he's really the Messiah, if he's really the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that doesn't sound like a relationship that can be you know, on the side in your life. It doesn't sound like an a la carte relationship. That is the only relationship that matters. Every other relationship is gonna matter because of that relationship, you know? That's gonna be the center of everything. And so when Jesus says that, I want you to believe that if this is anything, this has got to be everything. And I want you to know that God is calling his people today to be disciples and to say, I wanna know, do I have all of you? Because what Canada needs, what the United States needs, what the world needs right now are believers that are fully after Jesus, that are fully filled with his spirit, that are going to carry Jesus to the world. And the only way that's gonna happen is if he has our whole heart. So do you have time? For Jesus? Do you have time for one another? I, I can't find any example of disciples in the Bible that did it alone. It just said, me and Jesus, it's just us, we'll, just me and you, Jesus, we'll get this done. Now, in fact, Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. 
You can't separate being a disciple of Jesus from being in the midst of other disciples. God calls you to relationship with him and relationship with one another. So the first question I wanna ask you is, how's your schedule? Do you have room in your schedule? Do you have room in your heart? And do you have room in your dreams for what God is preparing in your life? See, if I have room in my schedule, you're gonna know my priorities when you look at my schedule. Do I have room to get to know him? Do I have room in my heart? Paul said this to the church in Corinth. He said, make room for us. He said, you're not kept small by us. You're not restrained by us. You are kept small. You are restrained by your own affections. Therefore, he says, make room for us. He says, we've opened our hearts wide to you. You need to open your hearts wide to us. Make room in your hearts for us. The call of discipleship is a call to make room. Make room for him. Make room for others. Make room for growth. I want to read you something that's, that's always been big to me. If we were to skip from Mark 3 to Mark 4, I know I, those of you who have gone to this church for a while, you know I've taught this before, but I want you to hear it again. When Jesus tells the parable of the sower, in Mark chapter 4, he says this, and it says in verse 2, he was teaching the many things. It was a very large crowd, and he was teaching the many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. The birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to hear that phrase, he who has ears to hear. Anyone who has ears to hear, hear this. Now let's just analyze for a minute. What has he said? He hasn't said a thing here that anybody would be able to say is very spiritual at all. He's merely giving you some farming tips. But the Bible says in the next verse, as soon as he was alone, his followers or his disciples, along with the 12, Matthew 13 tells us that it was, it was the disciples that began to ask this question. And it also tells us in Luke that he had a large crowd of disciples. The 12 were the, the inner core, but there were a lot of disciples and they followed him. It says here, as soon as he was alone. Well, we know he wasn't completely alone, but he was away from the crowds. The crowds had come to see the show, but the disciples had come to learn from Jesus, to, to be like him, to do what he did, to be who he was, to, to take his yoke upon them. And so they asked the question, what did you mean? And he was saying to them, to you, it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Now, he's quoting from Isaiah. And the question you might ask yourself is, well, does he not want people to be forgiven? Does he not want people to be healed? No, he's saying, absolutely, I want that. But the ones who are going to get the explanation, 
are the ones that are going to keep coming, that are going to follow me, and are going to ask the question, what did you mean? You see, to be in the crowd, all you got to do is show up. But to be a disciple, you got to dig a little deeper. You know, Jesus didn't say it's been granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. The, the, the explanation has been given to you because you're my secret club. Or you're my special crew. Do you notice he didn't offer the explanation until they asked for it? I believe that anybody who had bothered to come with him and ask him that question would have got the explanation. Isn't it sad how many times we've heard the word of God and we said, I kind of got it. I mean, I, I think I understood it. And then we go home and we don't get it. Uh, we, we, we just say, well, maybe it wasn't that important. To be a disciple means your words are life. It means to value what Jesus is saying, how he's teaching, how he's, how he's guiding us. It's, it means to value the relationship enough to say, I'm willing to go the extra mile with you. I'm willing to follow you. And I'm willing to ask the questions that nobody else is asking because it matters to me what you're saying. What you're saying has meaning. Can you imagine all the people that just showed up? The fo- I mean, this is a farming community. This is an agri- ag- agrarian community. Can you imagine them showing up to hear this great teacher? And all he says is, if you throw seeds on the road, they probably won't grow. Birds will come take them. If you sow uh, seeds on rocky ground, it won't go that deep. When the sun comes, it'll get scorched and wither away. If you sow seeds on thorny ground, they'll get choked out. But if you sow seeds on good ground, they'll grow and they'll multiply. And then he walks away. Can you imagine how ripped off you might have felt? I was expecting to hear this great message, and that's what I hear. But those that wanted more got more. See, this is the great mystery of the kingdom. Uh, In another gospel, during this story, he goes on. It includes some things that got cut out here that that Mark doesn't uh, write here. But in another gospel, it tells us the rest of what he said. And he said this. He said, to whom much is given, more will be given. In other words, Jesus is not just saying everybody gets the same. He's saying the one who wants more is going to get more. The one who has a lot but keeps asking. The one who's already, you know, been able to, to, to grasp this. He's going he's gonna to ask for more. He's going to hunger and thirst for more. Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus told his disciples, don't waste your time throwing pearls to pigs. You know, what are the pearls here? The pearl is, is his wisdom, his teaching. He says, don't throw it to pigs because they're, they're going to, when you throw a pearl to them, they'll get angry and they'll trample you. You know, they're not going to understand that, there's, that there's, there's, there's value, great value in this pearl because it doesn't taste good. It, it, it's not immediately satisfying. What does a pig want? A pig just wants corn. A pig wants potatoes. A, a pig wants some sort of food that's obvious. But if you gave a pig a pearl, if you gave a pig a, a $100 bill, that may be worth way more than the food they're eating, but they're not going to see the value in it. You see, a disciple sees value in what Jesus is giving. And when you see value, you're going to invest. When you see value, you're going to follow and ask those questions. It's going to take something from us. It's going to cost something, but the reward is so great. Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down, stressed out, burnout. Come to me and I will give you rest. 
I will give rest for your souls. And then he says this, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Learn from me, for I'm meek and humble in spirit. This is so, so cool that, that he, he doesn't choose those who've got it all together. He just says, come to me, anyone who wants it, anyone who is tired and burnt out with, with religion or the world, doesn't matter. Come to me and learn from me. You see, when he used that phrase, take my yoke upon you, that was a word that was used by rabbis to their disciples. Taking my yoke means you're gonna do things my way. You're gonna, I'm gonna teach you how to live this out. But when Jesus said it, while everybody else's yoke put a greater burden on their students, when Jesus said it, it actually lifted a burden off of them. Because part of being a disciple is recognizing that it's not just about learning. It's not even just about doing. It's about understanding that he's gonna do it all with you and through you. Remember the first verse that we read? He appointed them, he chose them so that they might be with him and that they would do these miracles, that they might be with him. I wanna read you something else here. In John chapter 17, this is a prayer for disciples. Remember, the scripture says, go and make disciples. It doesn't say, go and get some more church members. It, it doesn't say go and find more people to, to, to show up to the service, even though that's great. And that's a great first step. He says, go and make disciples. What God wants are disciples. And that's what he wants from you. But you can't be a disciple without being with him. You know, I read an article recently that compared it to a dancer, a ballet dancer that's doing these beautiful moves and she's got earbuds in her ears so she's listening to the music and she's dancing rhythmically to the music that she hears on the earbud. But imagine someone came along and said, I, I wanna learn to dance like you and so they copied her moves. They copied all of the, the, the intricacies on the rhythm of what she was doing but they didn't know that there's music in her ears. They might be able to learn that exact dance, but they're gonna miss something. I want you to know that Jesus didn't call you to just learn how to do something or just learn what to think. He wanted you to learn to be like him. He wanted you to learn from him. In fact, rabbis of the day wouldn't teach you what to think, they would teach you how to think. So they would ask questions like, how do you read this scripture? How does this sound to you? Because what Jesus wants is not just somebody who's gonna memorize facts. He wants someone who's gonna look like him and love like him. John chapter 17, Jesus prayed this prayer for disciples. And if you are a disciple this morning or you wanna be, if you wanna go deeper with God, you know, my life was changed as a teenager when I decided that I was tired of living halfway. I was tired of being lukewarm, I was tired of merely just doing the right things without the heart. I had a good upbringing, I had a good church, I had a good youth group, but at some point I had to make the decision, this is not my parents' belief system, it's mine. You know, I asked the question of the youth at one of our youth gatherings a, couple, a few years ago. I asked them the question, if you woke up tomorrow morning and your parents said, we don't believe in this anymore. We don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in God. We don't believe any of this stuff. I said, would we still see you at church? Because for a lot of teenagers, it's just 
you know, I go because my parents go, and yeah, I guess I believe it. But I believe it because I'm supposed to believe it. But what Jesus wants is he doesn't want a relationship with you through someone else. He wants a relationship with you directly. And here, if you want to be a disciple, he's calling you to discipleship. Jesus prays this prayer in John 17. Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that which I had with you before the world was. I've manifested your name. That means to reveal, to uncover. I've shown your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now, they've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you've given me, for they're yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I've been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are. The first prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples as he goes to leave, as he, as he gets ready for the next phase where he's going to go and be crucified and he's going to rise from the dead and then he's going to spend some time with them, but then he's going to ascend to heaven and he's going to commission these disciples to take over. And the first thing he prays is that they would be one as we're one. One of the first calls of a disciple, the first thing that Jesus has prayed for you is that you would be one with him and you'd be one with each other. He's called you into relationship. Then he says, when I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that's Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Listen to this. You've got to read this verse, this passage, the way it's meant to be read. Watch how many times Jesus uses the phrase, even as, in the same way, even as, or just as. I want you to see that he is making it very clear that he is sending you with the tools he had. He is sending you with the spirit he had. He is sending you with the relationship with God that he had. He is sending you with the love that he had, the word that he had, the authority that he had. I want you to know that Jesus has called you to be a real disciple and a real disciple reproduces his master. A real disciple reproduces what he's been taught and how he's lived. Jesus doesn't just want you to learn some trivia. Jesus wants you to walk with him 
and learn how he thinks and learn how he loves and learn how he moves. And this is the invitation I'm giving to you. In the next few weeks, we're going to dive in to going further in and further up to dive into what it means to be a real disciple. Because God's calling his church to a deeper place. The world needs it right now. And Jesus says it very clearly that you're no more part of the world system than he is. Do you ever think about that? We know Jesus was different. I mean, he was an alien in a lot of senses. I don't mean in the movie sense. I don't mean in the extraterrestrial sense of, of you know, like E.T. I mean that he was not of this world. To be of the world means you came out of it, that you're born of it. But the Bible says that when we were born again, we were born of heaven, that that's our DNA, that's who we are. And Jesus says they're no more a part of this world or defined by the world or shaped by the world than I am. As different as Jesus was, he wants you to be different as well. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Listen, he said, I gave them your joy. I gave them your word. I, I, they're no more a part of the world than I am. And then he says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. I ask you to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Clean them, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. I want you to see that he gave you every tool you need to be purified. He gave you every tool you need to be more like him. He says this, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. At the end of the day, one of the greatest proofs of the reality of Jesus Christ are his disciples. The greatest proof of the resurrection of our King is walking the earth right now. It's you and me. Sure, we can go through the historical evidence of the resurrection. We can go through the accounts and the archaeology and all of those things. But the greatest undeniable proof in the early church was that these disciples said, we know what we've seen. We know what we've experienced. We know he's alive. And I want to tell you that today, that proof is the same. We are proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he's taking normal people, broken people, messed up people, and he says, come to me and take my yoke upon you. Come to me and learn from me. Come to me and be like me. He's called you deeper. He's called you to not be a fan of Jesus, not to be a, just a student of Jesus. He's called you to be a disciple, to be with him and to learn from him. And I want to encourage you this morning that if something is stirring in you, I'm talking to believers that have been saved for decades. I'm talking to somebody that might just have received Jesus this week. Doesn't matter. Do you know that the disciples that Jesus called had no background in, in, in religious training? I mean, yeah, they, they grew up as good Jewish uh, people just like everybody else in their area. They, they, they grew up with the Torah and they grew up with the teaching, but they weren't professionals. They weren't they weren't special in the sense that they were the holiest men and women or, or they were the most educated. No, many of them were the last people you would have picked. And you know, they didn't have it all together. So today, if you're saying, well, this is the next level of following Jesus, 
I want to tell you it's the only level. It's the only real level of following Jesus is to really be a disciple. It's, it's, not, it's not like you need to be a, a junior disciple for five years. Then you get graduate to a, a major disciple. No, he called you from the moment you came to him. He's called you to be a disciple. And so if there's something in you that says, I know there's more, I know there's more. I know I'm not just supposed to sit in here. I know I'm supposed to live this out. I know I'm supposed to have a relationship with him. And I know I'm supposed to worship him in spirit and in truth. I know my life is meant to be consumed by his spirit, by his fire. That's what I want. Then I want you to know we're on the same journey, friend. We're on the same road. In the next few weeks, we're going to dig into his word and see what he says about how to be a disciple. His teachings to his disciples. And this is very basic, but it is revolutionary. We're going to see what it takes to be a disciple in the 21st century of Jesus. Spoiler alert, it's not that different from being a disciple in the first century. The foundations are still the foundations. The Holy Spirit is still the Spirit. Jesus is still King. I want you to know that He's invited you today.